one of the things about entrepreneurship, there is no reward without the risk. Every great entrepreneur had help. And where is that help going to come from? It's going to come from that social network. You don't have to be smarter than everybody else to make money doing asset allocation and save. I think there's a danger when you're in business to find arrogance, and especially if you're doing really well. At the end of the day, I ain't nothing special. I'm just a guy. What has value? Well, what has value is whatever people say has value. I'm going to get better and better and better at what I do as I get older. So the best me is going to be the me right before I die. Hey family, welcome back to the Marketplace Podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and today on episode number 127, I'm joined with Josh Sloof. Josh is the CEO and co-founder of Sudden Coffee, and he's passionate about more than just serving up a great cup of coffee. After launching several businesses that ended in some success and even more failures, Josh knew he needed to find his why. This led him to founding Sudden Coffee, an idea of making 1 billion people happy. Today, Sudden Coffee has served over 200,000 cups of their single origin, specialty grade instant coffee delivered right to your door with over $4.2 million raised for Sudden Coffee. And they've been featured in New York Times, Food and Wine, GQ, and more. I hope you really enjoy this. Josh get into the particulars of his business, and hopefully you can learn some of the tactics around it so that you can apply it to your own business. So without further ado, here's my man, Josh Sloof. Hey, Josh, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. So as I told you offline, I, you know, I appreciate a chance to uh, test your coffee out and we'll, we'll talk about sudden coffee a bit. But before we get into that, uh, let's, you know, let's hear a little bit about you. Why don't you give us a little background about Josh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So quick rundown on me. I, I grew up in the Bay Area, was always sort of around startups growing up and uh, went to Stanford, did industrial engineering. And I was always really passionate about um, how you could make things more efficient, specifically around food. And so ended up starting my career in consulting. Um, I was working at a company called McKinsey, just going into factories and call centers. And then after that, I left and I went over to Groupon and I started working on apps for restaurants. And along the way, I really got passionate about this idea of how you could use technology to make food experiences really connect with people emotionally. So instead of being as efficient as possible, how do you just make someone feel better or delight them with craft food and different experiences like that? And so um, I left Groupon. I knew I wanted to do startup of my own. and just started working on different ideas in that space and eventually found my way onto um, working on sudden coffee, which is really, really great instant coffee. Yeah. So when you when you started working on sudden coffee, you know, as I understand it, you kind of started putting it together at the Y Combinator. Kind of tell us why you got involved in that versus just kind of launching out on your own. What was your experience and, and learnings around that as you began to push sudden coffee out? Yeah, so 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 we actually joined Y Combinator about a year into it. Um, so we had already been working on Sudden before. I think one of the things that was unique is we we started 
you know, we started the company in San Francisco. We raised money for it pretty quickly, pretty early on, and pulled together a group of investors, mentors um, to help us work through that. And then also, you know, eventually joined Y Combinator once we had seen some traction. And, you know, I think, you know, we, we realized that if you can, if we can get help from more people and, and work on the idea um, with, you know, just more folks in the room and with more ideas in the room, it, it would help us build it out faster. And um, we knew that this was, this wasn't just as simple as, you know, just taking instant coffee and repackaging it. We actually had to invent a lot of different processes and also figure out a totally new way to market it because this, this wasn't really a product that people are used to before. It's kind of a new category. And so mm-hmm. with that, we wanted to just get help wherever we could. So tell me, you, you graduated from Stanford. How, you know, were you always, was the intention always to be an entrepreneur or were you going to work for someone? But as you started working for Groupon and doing food apps and stuff like that, you started to see white space. Yeah, you know, I, I think it was it was always a mix. You know, I think if you'd ask me when I was 12, what do you want to be? It, you know, I wanted to start a company at that point. But I think as I grew grew older, I really just got excited about the problems I was working on. And so, you know, I I, I got I, I did industrial engineering in college, and it was literally you know like the same things we're working on now. Like, how do we make our factory more efficient? And so, I wanted to figure out ways that I could work on that. And so, started doing it at big companies because big companies have factories that exist. And then, you know, I think that idea of starting a company on my own, like when you're a consultant, you just, you're giving a lot of advice, but you're not actually able to implement it. And so Mm. I wanted to take a swing at that and just see what that was like. And so I figured out a way that I could do a startup in a way that used my skill sets the best. Yeah. So it's really interesting to me when people become entrepreneurs in, in one sense, I mean, it takes a different wired mind, if you will, but especially when you get into a space like coffee, which is a relatively crowded space, beverage in general, right? I had an interview with Seth Goldman, who is the CEO of Honest Tea, and he was talking about how hard it was to kind of crack through in the, the beverage space. Now, I, I don't know the exact number, and maybe you can share that, but how big is the coffee space and how challenging was it for you to kind of start to penetrate that market? I know you mentioned that instant coffee was still outside of some of the other brands that we know of just being out there and living and existing, but how hard was it for you to crack your new brand through? Yeah. So it's funny. I actually don't know the size of the total coffee market. Instant coffee alone worldwide is $30 billion. Mm. Um, I know, you know, within the U S coffee in general is over a hundred billion dollars. It's, I mean, these are like huge, huge industries. And, you know, instant coffee was an area that it just hasn't been changed. There hasn't been innovation in decades. And so, you know, we knew that even if you got a very small percentage of that $30 billion, that's, that's a big pie. That's a, that's a lot. There's a lot of space that you can grow there. And so I think that for us was just a really big indicator that you know, while it is the CPG world in general is really hard, it's something we want to go after. I think like once we identified that, you know, we, I think we're fortunate now just to live in this time where it's, it's actually quite easy to get a product off the ground and just try it out. And so, you know, we were able to, you know, create a Shopify store and start selling online and use Instagram and Facebook for marketing in the early days. 
Um, and I think, we, you know, my co-founder, we were fortunate enough to have him working on it. And he's got a really, um, he had a really strong reputation in coffee. He's, he was the ninth best barista in 2015. And so um, the way that we launched the brand initially was just through grassroots, through the coffee community of just saying, hey, like we made this thing that's really cool. Um, it used to be really like much more expensive than it was too. So it was sort of this like expensive scientific experiment thing that you could be, be a part of. And people were really into that and wanted to try it out. Is that Kaylee, your partner that you're talking about? Yeah, Kale. Kale? Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. So he's the one that initially started Freeze Coffee. And you guys, that's right, Freeze Coffee, right? Um, yeah. So he had a cafe in Finland. And he had been, so he'd been in specialty coffee for 10 years before, you know, working on uh, as a barista, working on the roasting side, eventually opening his own cafe. And then had met a guy at a conference who used to work at Nespresso, um, who's now one of our scientific advisors. He, he's a chemistry professor. And the idea of, you know, is it possible to make good instant coffee came up just a, over a dinner table conversation. And so, yeah. And so Kale had access to a food lab at his university and, you know, took like coffee that he brewed and freeze dried it and it came out pretty well. So that's sort of the, the initial genesis. So I, I hear in the, the conversation here that you make a very clear distinction between the instant coffee that you send out, which, you know, we're going to talk about kind of how it's sourced in, you know, the process of it for coffee stops. But how is that different? If I'm getting a very good cup of coffee from you and sudden coffee delivered to my house, how is that different than if I, you know, I'm going to Starbucks and getting something else? If I like them both, how do I, what's the distinction between the two, I guess, for someone who's not a, a true, true coffee stop? Yeah. You know, I think it, you should really notice the biggest difference in taste. If you have a cup of sudden versus a fresh cup of Starbucks, uh, you'll notice that our coffees are a lot smoother. They're going to be naturally sweet. Mm -hmm. You don't need to add cream and sugar. And this is compared against like a fresh cup of coffee that you get at a lot of cafes that are out, like a lot of Starbucks that are out there. The reason for that, so there's a bunch of different reasons, but you know, the main things are number one, we, we use really, really high quality single origin beans. The analogy is it's, it's almost like going to a winery and getting grapes from a specific winery and, mm. So, you know, grapes from Bordeaux are going to taste different than grapes from Napa Valley, like even down to within this, you know, one mile radius. And so the coffees that we use are really, really specific. There's small batches of them versus, you know, larger coffee company. They end up having to just group everything together. They have to roast it darker to almost like burn out any defects or homogenize it. And so you get this like really bitter, dark roasted coffee that it's going to taste consistent mm -hmm. across millions of cups, but they're, it's not going to be as good. Um, and the second thing, and this is what we really figured out how to do, is um, we brew with a really high amount of precision. So if you're making a, if you're using really high quality beans at home, you're going to still have to figure out how to brew it specific to those beans and specific to when it was roasted. And there's a lot of parameters that go into that. Um, if you go to like a top cafe, they're going to do that for you. The barista knows what to do. And so we developed a process where um, we can do that at scale. We can really dial in every cup of coffee. And then we, we figured out a way to freeze dry it, uh, which allows us to, to lock everything in and preserve it. So yeah, so it's basically the beans 
brewing it perfectly and then freeze drying it to lock everything in. And that's sort of what makes sudden taste as good as it does. It really does. So I'm going to tell the listeners what I kind of told you offline. So when I first got it, um, I'm like, okay, so the guy has instant coffee and he's jamming it in these tubes. And I'm making it sound so bad, jamming it in these tubes. I'm sure you did it very classy. (laughs) So you're putting it in these tubes and... You know, he's just kind of repackaging and having the whole deal, but you really can taste the difference. So if people are used to their Folgers or whatever the instant coffee may be, this really does have a nice, smooth flavor. And to your point, you don't necessarily have to put cream or any sweeteners, although don't tell anybody I did put a little cream in mine. So I think it's really awesome. And we both did hot and cold. I do cold because I don't like the way hot works with my stomach. And it, I mean, having like an iced, quote unquote, iced coffee was just as good, man. You could taste the flavors in them. It was, it was really, really a good coffee. Uh, thank you so much. That that makes me so happy. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for saying yeah. that. I'm, glad, I'm really glad you liked it. Yeah, it was really good. So, you know, I, one thing I started going down and looking across was there's another site. Help me understand how this works together. Equator. So how do you guys work in conjunction with Quater or is Equator an arm of what you do? How does that work? Yeah. So we buy coffee beans from really, really top-notch roasters. So Equator Coffee, they're based in San Francisco as well. And we also, another coffee company we work with is Intelligentsia Coffee based in Chicago. And uh, we buy beans from them. And so what they do is they go out and they'll source the beans. They actually have direct relationships in you know, a bunch of different countries where they're going and vetting farms and they're making sure that the coffee is grown sustainably and, and all of that. And then they're um, roasting the coffee. Mm. Um, and then Equator has you know their own set of cafes. So you can go to Equator cafes in San Francisco. You can buy roasted beans from them. Um, and same thing with Intelligentsia or like Blue Bottle is a roaster probably a lot of people have heard of. And so we buy beans from them and then we brew and freeze dry it. Um, and so we sort of rely on them to do, you know, the bean selection and sourcing and roasting and roasting is its own thing that is also really complicated. Um, and then we, we handle the brewing and freeze drying and packaging on our side. Got it. So, you know, it, it's interesting because someone else could maybe work with a local company here if they trust how they're sourcing their beans and maybe take some of the same principles and maybe do some of the same things on the back end on there and start freeze drying and all that stuff, right? Theoretically? Yeah, totally. So it's actually pretty easy to do what we've done. Uh, so we were we, we were the first ones to really fi- to apply this and do it with specialty coffee. And it's easy to do it in a way that is expensive and low capacity. You know, you can reverse engineer how we've done it. Um, the first time we started doing it, to give you an idea, each cup of sudden used to cost us $6 to make. Mm. And that process is pretty doable. In order to get it down to what it is now, closer to you know seventy five cents for us to make each cup, that's where we had to do a lot of uh, chemical engineering, industrial engineering, find really specialized equipment to do that in a way where you're not hurting the quality and making it efficient. That's really cool. That's smart. I think it's super smart. And again, the way you guys do packaging and deliver it, I think it makes it convenient. You know, even when I started looking at it, tasting it and seeing, you know, how much it still keeps a lot of its texture, taste, the whole bit. You guys could even do something like pop-up shops, right? You probably could pop up somewhere around a Starbucks in a mall and just kind of, you know, serve up the hot 
hot coffee and let users kind of just start putting their own drinks together. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've actually dreamed about doing that since the beginning, basically just making it, you know, easy to, to grab and go and, and just showing you how making it really fun for yeah. people. I think that that's sort of always been a value for us. Like how do we make this something that is fun and experimental and where you're in control as the person making your own coffee. Yeah, totally. So uh, let's talk about the tactical side a little bit in terms of kind of the funding and other stuff around sudden coffee. So walk me through kind of the series of funding as you guys launched it. And where do you, what are you guys looking at today in terms of scale uh, in the business? Yeah, yeah. So so we've actually raised three different rounds of funding. And, you know, it's interesting. I think a, a lot of folks wonder, you know, like, when can I go raise money for my startup? Mm-hmm. Um, the first round of funding we raised, which is 500k, um, we, you know, we basically had some instant coffee in a plastic bag and a pitch deck that said that, you know, the instant coffee market is this $30 billion market. And just off of those two things, um, and sort of having the team together and, you know, saying like, okay, this is who's going to be working on it. And um, we were able to raise money on on just that idea alone by having, you know, proof of concept product and then some version of it. And so I think that's a really surprising to folks. Like you don't necessarily need to have a full up and running business yet. Um, you can actually just start um, raising money if that's something that you need for, for your company. After that, we... Uh, raised a second round of funding. And this is when we were with in Y Combinator. And um, the round was led by this company, CRV, which is a venture capital firm. And the goal with that round was we had built out, you know, we now started, we, we started selling the coffee. Um, we could only make around 10,000 cups per month. And we needed to just scale up the factory. And we were also really focused on scaling our online business. So we, you know, we were a direct to consumer subscription, you could only buy it online. And so we, we wanted to figure out how we could do marketing and, you know, scale that. And then along the way, we, we, act, we realized that there's actually a much bigger market for us um, working with roasters and doing partnerships and also working in retail. Um, and the reason for that is we were, we're introducing people to new product category. And it's kind of hard to do that online without touching or tasting it, which is something that you want to do with food. And so we raised a third round of funding uh, more recently uh, to basically make that shift into working with different, like, you know, working with roasters, um, also continuing to level up our equipment so that um, we were able to reduce cost further. So, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at now. We're, we're now, so we are now working with uh, six different coffee roasters. Mm. Um, a year ago, we were working with just two. Um, our goal is to get to about 20 over the next six months. Those coffee roasters are putting the product in, uh, you know, their own cafes as well as grocery stores. We're about to go into Whole Foods relatively soon. So if you ever see coffee in a test tube, um, even if it doesn't have the sudden coffee label on it, it's, it's made by us. And, um, yeah, so our, our goal after that is to get to, you know, probably this 20 roasters range, and then we'll be trying to raise a series A. So are you guys going to start white labeling some of this? Yeah, yeah. So we've been white labeling it. It's it's more of a co-brand. So, you know, our logo is still visible mm-hmm. uh, in the corner mm-hmm. and, you know, similar to like Intel inside. Mm-hmm. But you can already buy it in, you know, from six different roasters, including Equator and Intelligentsia if you go to their stores. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I went to Equator's site and... They do have instant coffee as a separate thing and have you guys up there. So that's that's a really cool kind of co-branded partnership you guys have set up there. 
Yeah, yeah. And it super aligns with our our overall mission. You know, like we wanted, our goal has been to get, you know, make it really easy for anyone to access great coffee. And so a lot of these roasters, you know, they have a, a national following, but the shelf life on their beans is only two weeks. So it's really hard for like Equator to send beans to, you know, Boston and have someone be able to have it without having a roasting facility nearby. And so with Sudden, you know, you can have your favorite coffee anywhere and it's been brewed properly. Um, you know, it's almost like having the cafe in your pocket. That's kind of how we like to think about it. I want to thank today's sponsor, Bloom. Do you guys have a 401k of some kind? You're always wondering if you have the right investments, if you're picking the right thing and you're just not fully sure. Well, Bloom with three O's, B-L-O-O-O-M, does free analysis of your current employee-sponsored retirement plan. You get to understand your investments at a glance and uncover unnecessary hidden fees. Then you put them to work. You put Bloom to work with your account for $10 a month, and they'll essentially fix your 401k by optimizing your fund choices and minimizing those hidden fees. And then at that point, you just sit back and let them do what they're going to do. Now, I found out about Bloom because of David Stein. I was listening to the podcast Money for the Rest of Us, and he mentioned Bloom. And I just wanted to check to see if I was picking the right investments. And I wasn't that far off. There was a few tweaks. But the concept itself of Bloom is amazing. Go in today's podcast notes and check it out for yourself. Bloom, B-L-O-O-M for your 401k analysis. Let's get back to the show. So talk to me a little bit about how you guys, I mean, you you touched on it a little bit, but how do you guys attack distribution in general? So I know, so let's talk about it from a diff, couple of different perspectives. So I know you're working with some different companies in ter- terms of the companies are already doing the sourcing of beans and all that. You, you're taking on the, the brewing piece to make it the instant coffee, but then you guys are working with Amazon and other marketplace channels to distribute the product and but you have your own warehouse facility, I imagine, maybe a supply chain of some some sorts in place. How do you guys have that set up? Yeah, totally. So we do pretty much everything in-house. We have a factory in San Francisco. Everything is packaged um, in San Francisco and shipped out from San Francisco. We we have a few different distribution models, and, and we this is where we really took the startup approach of trying out a bunch of things and seeing what worked. So you can buy sudden directly from us on our website. Um, you can buy it um, and you can buy it as an individual purchase or as a subscription. You can buy it on Amazon. You can also buy sudden branded coffee in retail, but it's available at a few Safeway stores. We're doing a bunch of pilots there. And you can also buy it as these co-branded versions at different loca- like at different coffee mm-hmm. roasters. So yes, yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that you can buy it. I think our our approach now, and you know, there's a lot of history of sort of figuring out how this fits. You know, first of all, how it fits into people's lives, and so we figured out that you know people buy coffee usually not online, and so we realized okay, we need to figure out a way to get it into people's you know into retail locations. The other big thing, and this is the thing we focus on the most now, is customer education. How do we teach you about what sudden coffee is? How do we teach you about really great coffee mm-hmm. in general? And what are the best ways we can do that? And so 
lately we've been shifting our focus to these co-branded products because the roasters, if you buy sudden coffee at a cafe, there's, there's a barista there who can tell Mm. you about it and, and actually educate you on, on what this is and why it's interesting and why you should try it. And we found that that's been working really, really well. It's really helping customers get it in in a different way versus, you know, online, it's really easy to think that, you know, we just took Folgers and put it in a test tube. <laughs> right. So so what kind of marketing efforts are you guys focused mainly around? So I see that you have an affiliate program. You mentioned that you do Instagram and other stuff. But what are maybe some key marketing areas that you're trying to touch on? And I heard somewhere when you guys first launched out, you I believe you fo- focused on millennials and then you kind of shift a little bit to Gen Xers. So how do you, how did that shift? the the marketing that you're doing today. Yeah, yeah. So right now today the only two things we're doing is trying to work with more and more roasters and get those co-branded products in stores. Mm-hmm. And then we're we're doing podcasts obviously because it's a really great platform to just teach people about what we do and um why we're excited about it. And we actually for the most part have stopped Facebook marketing, we stopped a couple months ago, we were doing a lot of demos in stores, like having people try products, we've actually stopped a lot of that stuff. Historically, so when we started out, we were like, okay, this brand is going to be, you know, we're targeting millennials in cities. And off of that, we were spending a lot of time on Instagram, at like doing paid advertising, doing Facebook advertising. And one of our advisors, she actually went through our customer list and kind of took us through this exercise where we looked at everyone who had placed over four orders and looked at uh, where, you know, we, we checked them out on Facebook. We went one by one and looked up each person on LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera. And we found out that our customers are actually a bit older. They were 35 to 55. They tended to live in suburban areas. Uh, and so that a lot of them are super well educated. They tended to be doctors, professors, people who own their own business, someone who owned a yoga studio. And so that totally shifted our marketing strategy. Instead of you know paying photographers to make cool Instagram posts, we started an affiliate program to figure out you know how we could reach um, you know that type of person who maybe isn't on Instagram as as much. Yeah. Uh, we also actually rebranded, like we changed our logo the messaging, et cetera, to appeal more to that, to that older segment. Yeah. Cause you talk about educating the consumer. Now I think, and some people are probably going to turn their heads in the car or wherever they're listening to this, but I think Facebook ads are a black hole. I just, I mean, I just don't like them. I, I can't appreciate them because they've never done what I expected them to do. However, when you have a product like this and you're trying to educate people along the way, I think the affiliate program is good because you get bloggers, people on YouTube that begin to talk about products. Of course, they can link up their affiliate links and all that good stuff. So, yeah, this seems like an ideal product, particularly that could work in conjunction with like a Pinterest, for example. Yep, totally. Exactly. Anywhere where, you know, someone can tell the story for us is is where we want to be. Yeah. So, you know, if if I may be delving too far, just let me know. But, you know, what kind of margins are we talking about in a business like this? Yeah. So, the, you know, that's still an area where we struggle. We need to be, you know, for for a consumer packaged goods business like our, ours to be successful, there needs to be a 75 to 80 percent margin mm-hmm. between our co- like what it costs us to make it versus what you're buying it for. Mm-hmm. And the rest of that margin 
as a company, we don't keep all 80% of that. That would go into marketing, that would go into distribution and other fees like that. Um, right now, we're probably looking at close to a 20% margin. Sometimes we have no margin. And um, the reason for that is, you know, we're, we're trying to build out this category and we really want to focus on growing it as fast as possible. And we've been fortunate enough to receive venture capital funding. And so with that, we can afford to have no margin in the short term while we build out the manufacturing processes to be able to then have a margin, you know, six months from now. Yeah. So it's, you know, when I always tell people, you know, you're, if you're buying it today, you're getting a really good deal because there's not a lot of margin for us. And we're giving you, you know, the cream of the crop, best ingredients, best coffee, um, going through a really amazing process. Yeah. You're kind of, you're, you're building for the future. You're kind of taking an Amazon approach to the business basically. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. So when you, when you launched sudden coffee, Josh, what are maybe two to three things that you focused on first? So for example, Anytime I go into a business, no matter what that business is, I'm always looking at the people, the processes, and ultimately profit, right? What were, you know, two to three things that when you went in, you said, these are the first things that I need to focus on to kind of create this experience or create this product and then launch it? Yeah, I think the first thing, uh, Kali and I, we got introduced by a mutual mentor. And the first question I asked was, how how long will it take? Like, can we sell this next week? And the reason for that is, I wanted to figure out how much customer there, how much customer demand there would be, or how excited people would be as fast as possible. And and I think that's something that a lot of folks, you know, they they wait till they built the website, or they wait till you know everything's perfect, and then they say, you know, I'm going to do a launch six months from now. We went and did a launch, you know, two weeks after Kale and I met and we sold out in five minutes. Wow. And that was the biggest indicator. Um, you know, I'd been working on, I, I before Sudden, in the, a year, I spent a year and a half working on probably like 10 different startup ideas. And the fact that this sold out that fast was to me really clear, uh, a really clear indicator that was like, okay, you know, there's something there mm -hmm. that, you know, this is something that we, we need to do. After that, after that process, uh, you know, I think the, the next things after that, it really uh, became this question of, okay, now we, we have this demand, how do we make more of it? And we, so capacity became our biggest thing. And then um, how we continue to attract new people, how do we, how do we attract new customers? Like what's our marketing channel? And honestly, like looking back, I think we didn't do a strong enough job on the marketing front in the early days. Mm -hmm. I think there were some areas where we, you know, took the wrong approach and we would have done things differently. But having a very, you know, deep understanding of how you're going to keep attracting new customers and keep sort of building this virtuous cycle is is really really important. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know, again, you know, everything is always hindsight, you know, for the most part. But you know, it kind of makes you a little bit stronger for what tactics you want to approach next. So for example, you just mentioned you initially came out, you thought it was going to be about millennials. It switched up to Gen Xers. You switched up some of how you do marketing. So it's a learning process. That's how I always ask, what were the two to three things you focused on first to see how much you veered from where you're at from the beginning to today? Yeah, yeah. For us, I think, you know, when we started, we we had this flash sales approach because we only had we could only make 200 a week. Mm. So we would every, every Thursday we would say, 
cool, uh, we have another batch who wants to buy it and it would keep selling out. And, you know, we kept building up this email list as a result of that. And there was a lot of, you know, chatter in the community because everyone wanted to buy some. And that was working really well for us. And I think we made a mistake by before we even really had the inventory, we just said, okay, now you can buy a subscription. And we did that, you know, within two months, we started selling these subscriptions. And as soon as we did that, it stopped being the scarce resource. And it stopped being this thing where people were talking about it quite as much because it was easy to get now. And, you know, I think that's something that looking back, I would have done differently and not rushed to, to get there as as rapidly as we did. So let, let me ask a question. Uh, you know, when you go out on a Twitter timeline or you read Inc. articles, you can easily find the benefits of drinking coffee. You can easily hear the, the opposite arguments of drinking coffee. I mean, there's always two sides to this. What's based on some of your research and what you've done in the space? What have you found to be the truth around a good cup of joe? Yeah, you know, I think it's the scientific benefits, I think, are, it's hard. As you said, you know, every week I read one about <laughs> how coffee is really great for your blood pressure yeah. and is a key to longevity. And, you know, every week I read another one about how <laughs> it's going to make you die faster <laughs> and like all that stuff. Yeah. I think within coffee, you know, no, no one knows. There isn't like a clear, obviously, like we'd all love to say that you know, I like coffee it keep, keeps you going. I mean, for me, drinking a good amount of coffee, I, you know, I feel great. It's, I, I think it's, it's awesome. And I really like the taste. Um, you know, I think the thing we focus on is, is number one, that, you know, giving you something that tastes really good. Uh, just the way that we view coffee is it's one of the cheapest luxuries in the world to get a really expensive bottle of wine. You got to spend $500 sometimes. Mm -hmm. You can have the most, the highest quality coffee for $5 a cup. And, and so that's really unique. And, and that's actually changing due to climate change. So it's actually for people listening, you should get good coffee now while you still can. <laughs> um, and so I think that's really special. And then also, we, to me, it's really about the experience. I got into this because I, I wanted a way to share, to, to make people feel good. And there's that emotional connection you get when, you know, you can serve someone something that tastes really good and puts a smile on their face. And coffee is this thing that's, it's this morning ritual. It's part of something's, it's part of someone's daily experience. And so I just feel privileged to get to be part of that with people, if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, it is a great experience. There's a lot of science behind coffee drinkers and the endorphins and different chemicals that begin to open up within people's minds, their bodies, when you're just sitting back, relaxing and having a nice cup of joe and people focus in on the caffeine and maybe the stressors that it may have for those who have anxiety and other stuff. But there is really, and I, I want to say that I read somewhere that, you know, the same thing that drugs do for certain people in their body, the reactors in it, Coffee does the same thing because you're just sitting back kind of in a relaxed state and just having a nice cup of coffee. I mean, it, you know, it kind of is an experience in itself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is, it does have caffeine in it and caffeine, caffeine is a stimulant. And so for better or for worse, it has, you know, it has those effects of making you feel awake and um, making you smile. And also it has that, the stimulant effects of giving you a crash afterwards. And I think those you know, those are the realities of coffee, but 
it's also, you know, something that, that is just something that, that's great to enjoy and, you know, great to, great to just have when you want like for me, like I have a coffee in the morning and I meditate right mm. afterwards and it kind of just gets me into this really great headspace to, to start the day. Yeah. Speaking about headspace, what do you, being an entrepreneur can be stressful. And I think this is an age more than I've ever seen in the space. And I've been in the kind of the tech world and all of that stuff for a very long time. How do you tend to manage some of the stress that comes at you with building a business that just happens not because it's a coffee company, but just because, you know, you're an entrepreneur and this is a startup in a sense. How do you manage the day's anxieties and different stuff that is you're bombarded with? Totally. Yeah. And that's a great question. Yeah. I, so I've been doing this now for sudden coffee for three years and being an entrepreneur on my own for four and a half years. And so, you know, there was a lot of me just figuring out that, like that question. I, you know, I have, I have a therapist. I also have a co a goals coach who, because when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have a mm -hmm. manager. And so I have a, a coach who keeps me accountable. Um, and then I also, I, I did a really valuable exercise where I figured out my core values. And this was through the coaching experience. And one of them for me is relaxation. And that's something that, you know, a lot of folks try to fill up their entire day. And then on the weekend, they have more meetings and all this stuff. And I realized that I, I really need to make time to unplug, to hang out with friends, to read a book and focus on work-life balance. Um, I think when I first started, when I first was an entrepreneur, I, I was just like, I'm going to work all the, on the weekends. I'm going to work 12 hour days. And, and that's sort of the, what the dialogue that you hear, especially in San Francisco, that you just got to work, work, work mm -hmm. all the time. And it, that's, that's the path to burnout. That's not, it's not going to be sustainable. You know, being a, doing, being an entrepreneur is a career like anything else. You need to make it sustainable. You need to view it as this is going to be one of many companies I start and I have to make that sustainable for myself. And so it, like making sure you leave the office at a certain time, making sure you invest in those other things, I think is really, really helpful. Man, I love it. That is such great advice because I, I encourage so many people to be okay with talking with a therapist, be okay with having a coach. I know a lot of times people just sometimes wake up and say, you know what, I just, I feel like being a coach today. It's it's just a coachy kind of day. But there's, when you find a good coach, there's something to be said for investing in yourself and having someone to help shape some of your, your hopes, dreams, and goals, if you will. So I, I think that is so critical. And particularly, you hit on something else that, you know, for a long time, you heard about crush it, hashtag hustle. And I always thought that was BS, by the way. And then on the flip side, you hear uh, Ariana Huffington or some other people say, find a work-life balance. I can see why people go nuts because they're trying to balance themselves in these two worlds. It's And it's impossible. You really kind of have to find your own what makes sense for you. Because work-life balance, to me, could be something totally different for you. Totally. Yeah. I think, you know, the the thought, I think what happens for a lot of people is you attach your own identity to your company. Mm -hmm. And that happens when you think that, you know, my whole life, my whole success, everything has come up. It come down to this one moment, this one company. And if this company fails, then my life is over. I have nothing else, you know, going for me. And it's all down to that. And if you live in that scarcity mindset, of course, like, yeah, work all the time. That's what you got to do. 
And then you hear that from investors, like I want it, I want an entrepreneur who's going to bleed for the company, like bleed, you know, but if you're, I, I've had some of these mentors who founded three, four, five companies, they make a career out of doing this. And you can't make a career bleeding for everything all the time for 40 years, like you're going to die, you're going to bleed <laughs> out. And so and what you see with these guys is they make it sustainable. Like they treat being an entrepreneur just like, you, you know, they, someone who's a doctor or someone who, you know, is, runs a department at a company and they have a balance and they have kids and they go on vacation. And that's you need to integrate that into entrepreneurship to be successful. That's really good stuff, man, Josh. That's that's gold stuff right there. So what's ahead for sudden? Do you guys plan on? infusing it with anything or creating candies around it? What, what, what's your guys' next goals? Yeah, you know, we want to work with roasters all over the country. We want to make it so that, you know, no matter where you live, if you have a favorite cafe, you walk into that cafe and you can see an instant coffee version of that. And you'll be able to buy that in Whole Foods. You'll be able to buy that in Safeway. Really have your favorite coffee anywhere. Um, I think the next big thing for us is to just make it as cheap as possible. Um, our our goal was to make it so that you could buy a cup of sudden for $1.50 a serving. And it used to be $6 when we started. Now it's at $2. And we want to make it you know as cheap as possible for people so that everyone can enjoy it. If we can do those two things, I think it'll be it'll be amazing. Beyond that, you know, we've talked about suddenifying other other things making like a sudden chai or or other things like mm -hmm. that but uh that'll probably be a little ways off for us <laughs> no that's really good stuff again i i really did enjoy it and i thank you so much for for sending it to me it really was good and and i think it's 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 worth the price and to your point it, it's not like you're you're killing on the cost at all or even making tons of tons of money yet so this is really really good stuff so look if people want to purchase the product, if they want to connect with you, I know that I've read you uh, all your articles on Medium. If they want to just get in touch with the content you have out there, feel free to share how, how they can do that. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to buy Sudden, if you want to check it out online, check our website, suddencoffee.com. For folks listening, uh, we're going to have a 10% discount if you use the code MARKETPLACE on our website. You can also buy it on Amazon. You can also, uh, it's going to be in more and more retail stores. So if you're in the Bay Area, especially, um, there's a bunch of places in San Francisco where you can buy it. And then, yeah, you know, if, if you want to connect with me personally, I'm on LinkedIn, Josh Zloof, or add me on Facebook or however you want to, <laughs> however you want to reach me. That's great. Josh, you've been extremely gracious with your time, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Th thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It was really great to, to talk. Thanks a lot. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed my interview with Josh today. He was a great guy to talk to. I appreciate his transparency about his business and what they're looking at for the future, his focus around marketing, how he attacks distribution and margins. And I just really appreciate the rich information. Hopefully it's something that you can apply to your business. Even if you're not selling coffee, remember the principles that people are sharing with us is what we take away and we spit out anything else. Please share this interview, share it on iTunes, share it on Stitcher Radio, share it on Google, share it wherever the podcast is at. We appreciate your feedback. In fact, if you want to let me know that you listen to it, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Twitter at Priest Willis. I'd love to talk with you there. So until next Sunday, I'll talk to you soon.
I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. <laughs>